0: We're back. Welcome it's to Country Cooking show. with Paula Dean. <laughs> Fireball, what's been going on? You still got all your fingers? Got all 12 of them.
1: John, actually there's a table saw in the room with us right now. It's, <laughs> yes. it's not just upstairs so John can cut flooring. Yep. It's actually in the room with us. I feel so, so this old house right
0: now. Yeah, it's a kind of this old uh, mid, mid-20th century house. It's a 1956 build. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the this old house, 1800s kind of uh, Victorian rebuild, different kind of this old house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what to call John, fireball or, you know, norm. I don't know. 12 fingers, Johnny, I guess <laughs>
0: I've got 12, all 12 of my fingers he, intact. He, 12 of them even. Wow. You grew some. <laughs> That's right. Using those saws, you know, you grow hair on your chest and fingers on your hands. You don't
1: sound well, actually. This might be like the podcast. Were you sick in another podcast? Were you like getting germs on the mic? I mics? get
0: sick all the time. You have kids. I got kids. Actually, you know what happened? I think I got this at work. One of those times where a co-worker comes to work and is, is ill and passes And just proceeds around. to lick your face. It's just yeah. awful. Yep. Well, you know, that happens all the time at my job. It's a It's a nature of the game
1: so what are we drinking we got a really nice bottle of wine here i think
0: this is a, a, a wine named after a band um, as you pointed out this is a primus 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 veramonte 2002 merlot cab caramon whatever that that is it's a it's a blend it's a chilean yeah it's chilean and it's uh, quite tasty it's really good i'm liking that one and i'm really hoping that it interacts with my uh my cold medicine We'll see John bouncing off the walls (laughs) Or I might just fall asleep Halfway through the show Flying around
1: (laughs) I don't know I had a couple things to talk about Wanted to remind everybody About the Asylum Street Spankers Or the Asylum Street Bankers They got an FTC license actually So they're operating now That's
0: cool I I think they have uh, no cost checking
1: (laughs) They do And uh, Yeah Anyway Asylum Street Spankers June 17th at the Earlville Opera House We linked to it in the last show I guess we can do it again Mm Mm-hmm what else happened? You know, last night um, I went to a, a jazz concert. It was kind of cool. Uh, we On show 15 or 25 or 35, some five show, I think it was 15, we did a show about Do What You Love and the Money Will Come, I think is what you ended up titling it. The whole inspiration for that segment was from my friend Adam, who's this really, really talented jazz guitarist. And uh, if you listen to the show, if you go back and listen to it, you can uh, hear a little bit more about Adam. But his school is out and he brought up some uh, some kids from his music school, a pianist. And a drummer, and they did a little uh, concert at the Resonance Art Center in Utica, New York. Two dollars. It was like a two-hour show. It was really good. A lot of free jazz, a lot of experimental stuff. Steep ticket there. Two bucks? Two bucks. Like two-buck Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's drink some of that on one of the shows. I should find some, yeah. Uh, Well, the nearest one is New York City. So anyway, yeah, that was a great show. And uh, something else funny I noticed, I mentioned this to you earlier, I drive through a little town called Chittenango, which is, by the way, the birthplace, the birthplace also of Frank
0: Baum. El Frank Baum, to be exact.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they're having OzFest, and I didn't think Ozzy would
0: even bring that show (laughs) to
1: Chittenango. I mean, Chittenango's kind of a small town for something like that, but, you know, who knew?
0: Yeah, like most towns that have one claim to fame, well, I mean, they've got other claims to fame, but this is a big one. Um, they seem to have a lot of businesses with the the theme for that claim to fame. There's a lot of uh, Wizard of Oz kind of things. There's there's antique shops with Oz themes, um, and I think that in the Oz Fest, occasionally one of the Munchkins or one of the living Munchkins shows up and is the uh, start singing know. Crazy Train. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Grand Wizard of their uh, <laughs> of their uh, their parade. But it was raining all weekend long, so I don't know if they've got any uh, festivities worked in.
1: I don't know. Was it supposed to be this weekend? It was this weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, it rained yesterday, so I didn't get to ride the bike yesterday. But I did ride today. I met uh, one of my new cycling partners at the Whitesboro High School, and we evaded the rain. It either missed <laughs> us, or we, you know, basically we got to places where the road was wet, but it wasn't raining anymore, or it missed us entirely. Did and you get
0: one of those stripes on your back from the wet road? No, the the road had
1: dried sufficiently by the time we got to it where it wasn't really kicking up water. I had to clean the bike a little. I'll tell you what was an interesting cycling day was Monday of last week, uh, Memorial Day. I went out with a new cycling friend of mine. um, And by new, I mean he he only started cycling recently. He just bought a nice bike. And we were out for like three hours in that 90-degree heat and that brutal sunlight. And as I mentioned on Sunday's show, I had a little bit of a burn, so I had some uh, sunscreen on. And after 3 hours, you know, he was pretty tired and I was pretty tired, but I said, "You know what Tim, I'm going to I'm going to do a couple more miles." We I dropped him off at his car and Hung out and talked to him for five or ten minutes, and then went on my way. And then the first hill I climbed on the way home kicked my ass. Just hanging <laughs> out and waiting for ten minutes, my system kind of got on shutdown, you know. And yes, I, it built up
0: in your muscles. Yeah, and you're it was screwed. so
1: hot, and it was I was so thirsty. Just climbing this slight grade on two ninety one, that I went. You know what? I'm just gonna go home and drink a gallon of water and take a shower. But it was a good ride. Had some fun.
0: Cool, cool, cool beans. Well, we've got some tunes.
1: You got nothing. I got nothing. You got,
2: yeah.
0: I'm waiting for the wine to kick in, then I'll have something for
1: you. <laughs> Woo, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we got it. To, what do we got? We got um Oh, you know what? As long as we have access to the entire live Bela Fleck music collection on uh, archive.org, sure. W- over the next, you know, couple of months, we're just going to play every song there is. And if you don't like it, that's what the fast forward is for. That's right. Don't call some crazy religious group to phone the FCC and yell at us. Use the fast-forward button. Right, and or the while the button. song
0: is playing, I'm going to show my nipple.
1: <laughs> Beat that out. Anyway, this is Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, and this song is called... This song is actually off their first record, and you know what their first record is called?
0: Bella Fleck and the Flecktones.
1: Uh, no, I think it's called UFO Tofu. Oh, I remember that. Which is a... Um, uh, what's the word, same forward as backward, palindrome. Palindrome. UFO tofu, it's a, it's a palindrome. Anyway, this song, I saw him do it live a couple of years ago, and I searched Archive.org till I found a decent copy of it, and it's called Tell It to the Govna. Well, there you go. Tell to the governor by Mr. Bela Fleck and
0: the Fleck tones. Across my chest, I'm going to get tattooed. Fleck is my daddy. <laughs> I got to get the uh, the dancing bears crossed off. I got to get that removed. I'm going to put Fleck is my daddy. Wichita Rutherford already has that, I think. I think he beat you to that. Did he? I don't know. Well, well mine's bigger Fleck. and more painful. <laughs> it's going to be bigger and better. <laughs> so I guess homework is due. Oh, yeah. We should we should play like Hot for Teacher or something. Here we should insert that. Yeah, homework is due. We had some homework last week. It was the the film two thousand five film by Steven Spielberg. Who who? Steven Spielberg. Uh, he's come such a long way since that
1: made for TV film called Duel that never got released. You know. <laughs> That was a great movie. I thought it was a great film. It had like Dennis uh, Weaver in it. Dennis I think. Weaver and yep. a truck and a truck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Starring as the truck himself. I have a friend who to this day still thinks *Duel* is Spielberg's best work. <laughs> I would I
0: would probably argue that, but it was a good film. I yeah, liked it a lot. Yeah, it was really good. I, I I've seen that anyway. *Munich*. *Munich*. Yeah, 2005 film by uh, Spielberg, and. I've been reading some reviews on this after I went after I, I saw this film. I, I went back and started reading reviews back in January when there was a lot of controversy around Oscar time, and uh, there was a lot said about it. Uh, what do you think? I thought it was a, a, a pretty good film. Excuse me. I've oh, you a little just, wine. Th- There's a little gulp. If you
1: see me drinking, just say something. Just continue the sentence. You know, put a comment. Talk in amongst or myself. Talk amongst yourselves. What did I think of the film? Well. I had seen it reviewed you know, many months ago on Ebert and Roper, which incidentally and ironically was the same show I learned recently because I went back and looked at it where they reviewed uh, The World's Fastest Indian, mm-hmm. and I have no recollection of that review, but I remember wow. vividly the Munich review. It's so weird that those were on the same show, and I loved uh, that film. Anyway, Munich. Yeah, I thought it was a nice piece of filmmaking. I mean, it was exactly what I expected it was. It filled in a lot of blanks that I had about the history of that event. Right. First of all, I said 68 Olympics last week, and it's, of course, wrong. It was the 72. 72 Olympics. And I should have realized that because memories of this event are actually on the fringes of my memory. And if they were 68, I would not have been able to remember this, but mm-hmm. 72 I would have. And I do remember these events in the news. You know, uh, there was a lot of crap hitting the fan back then, you know, late yep. 60s, early 70s. So there was a, there was a lot of stuff going on. And it was kind of the rise of terrorism in many ways, you know, and I don't even want to use that word. I hate it because it's so overused by this administration, but it was around that time that, like, airplane hijacking throughout the 70s got very popular and started happening quite a bit, so there was a lot of stuff like that going on in the news.
0: Yeah, the the terrorist techniques were sort of uh, developed around that. They were evolving. Yep. Yeah, and and when I went back to look at the reviews, I wanted to see what other people were saying because I want I didn't want to uh, mix my ideas with other people's ideas. I wanted to make sure that my ideas were were distinct and, and yeah, clear. Yeah, but if you just said your ideas, you wouldn't have known. What? <laughs> <laughs> the medicine is definitely kicking in. No, what I'm saying is I, I I wanted to go back and and see what other people had said and, and if if I. How do I say this? I had some ideas after watching this film. I had some, some thoughts and some, some opinions after watching this film, and I wanted to make sure that the reviews that I had read before weren't tainting those or, or feeding into those. Um, and, and for the most part, some of them were, because I went into this film expecting to see some of the, the things that I'd heard, like, um, well, Steven Spielberg is, is putting terrorism and Israeli policies on the same level moral level i'd I'd heard some of those criticisms what does that mean that means, and well it's coming from a a reviewer who is saying who thought that the actions of of israel
1: were no different than the actions of uh the plo or terrorists who were acting out against israel
0: no what what the the reviewer because i would actually
1: agree with that i think israel overreacts and but anyway i don't really want to get into that deep of a conversation no what
0: the reviewer was saying is 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 criticizing S- Spielberg for putting the actions of Israel at the same level as those of the, like the PLO? But what does that mean, the same level? I'm not I'm not sure I understand that. Do you do you know was Be- it made because clear to you? The, because the the reviewer was coming from the opinion that that Palestinian terrorists were not on the moral high ground that Israel was on the moral hmm. high ground. Oh, okay, yeah. and Spielberg was being an apologist for the PLO essentially by by. Equivocating.
1: Well, I, I don't think Spielberg was being an apologist, but I think that one line spoken at the train station um, from their bomb maker right. when, when he said, you know, thousands of years of being victims don't make us righteous, do not make our actions righteous. And I agree with that statement. And I, I think certainly Spielberg was making a statement in this film. I think uh, Siskel and Ropert and Ebert or whatever they're called now agreed with that, you know, striking and striking back. Where is this leading? You know, I mean, it's leading nowhere good. I mean, just like towards the end of the film, the main character, Avram or whatever his name was, you know, was afraid he was being hunted. Evner. Evner. Yeah. And he was afraid he was being hunted and went so far as to, well, it's very involved. I don't know how into the, you actually didn't do a bit of a plot synopsis. Do you want to do that? Yeah.
0: If you haven't seen it already, essentially what's going on is the, um, there were, uh, terrorist actions by Black September, uh, a Palestinian group who, took hostages at the 72 Olympics. I think it was a wrestling team and in a failed rescue attempt, essentially all of the 11 hostages were killed or there were nine hostages, two were killed in, in the initial uh, taking of the hostages and a bunch of the, um, well, I think all of the, the, uh, hostage takers were killed as well. So Israel, what they did in, in response was they put together covert action and that's where this film sort of takes place is they, they took, they, uh, they took a, covert action to find people who are responsible for planning this in black September and uh, hunting them down and killing them. And what you see is a group of, of um, I guess it were some military people and essentially patched together a group of uh, guys who were um, given funds and uh, given Swiss, some, bank accounts and... Swiss bank accounts, given some information and they were told to essentially hunt down certain names, find these people and kill them. That was it. Um, and, that part of the story, up until these people were were, uh, were hired and, and set loose to, to take on these actions, that part, um, you could probably say that was fiction because we don't know the whole details of it. All we know is that some of these people were killed. And we do know that, um, I think through some uh, historical accounts, that uh, Israel sponsored some of the the actions but but the actual actions themselves in the film were, were the fictional part the characters themselves may or may not have been composites but but that's where the the, the film took place and eric banna was the the leader of of this group um you may have seen him in troy and i think he played hulk <laughs> yeah he was uh he was
1: the hulk yeah and i have not seen either of those films so i dep- i went into this film he was new face to me, which was probably a good thing because for me that made it a little more believable. You know, when you see someone who's played whatever some major character in a film like the Hulk or Spider Man or Superman, and suddenly they're playing a serious role, you know, for me it sort of ruins it. I can't buy them as the uh, the serious assassin dude, you know, which he was in this film. But and I thought he was very believable. I thought I thought he was his performance was was very good.
0: Yeah, and and I had seen the Hulk because I was kind of curious about that film. Um, and I saw Troy, and those two films sort of defined his character for me and I think that in the Hulk and in troy his his role and his his portrayal they were phenomenal and i I thought that even though maybe the Hulk wasn 't the best film in the world, and Troy maybe not the best film either <laughs> right. i think I think that he was a standout in both of them mm-hmm. so I, I already had a, a little bit of a uh, i don 't know a high opinion of him, and in this film he certainly delivered. He's able to show the strong character as well as the the emotions.
1: One thing that I found interesting about the cast of characters that they put together on his team is that they were all interesting to me. Like the older gentleman who was killed by like the female assassin. Right. What an he was the the cleanup guy. He was the Winston Wolf, if you <laughs> yeah. will, of the of this crew. He would go in afterwards and make sure you didn't leave your passport after the assassination or something, or yep. you know any significant amount of evidence. But what an interesting uh, set of characters they were.
0: Yeah, and I think his name is uh, Sierran. I can't remember how to pronounce it. It's Sierran Hines. He uh-huh. also played... Uh, He's a tap dancer, too. <laughs> right. He played uh, Caesar in in the HBO series Rome. Oh, I heard that was great. And it was very, very good. Um, the other guys on the the cast were Daniel Craig, the new James Bond. Oh, right, right. yeah. Yep. Uh, he played, a, I think, a South African uh, Jew as well. Um, and then there is Matthew Kasavitz. I've never seen him before, but his face seemed a little bit familiar, and I don't think I've seen him in other films. Jeffrey Rush was in there as well. I recall. Jeffrey Rush played yeah, uh, one of the the handlers, I guess you'd call him for the, for this group. Um, and Hans Zuckler, I think, who played name? a guy named Hans. Yes, and and he <laughs> he was, and all these guys they they're. They weren't assassins, and, and they even had a, a little bit of a, a dinner, and they were talking about that where it was weird to think of themselves as assassins because that wasn't their role in, in life. They were sort of drafted to be first-time assassins. But I, I get the feeling from
1: that very scene in those conversations that they were all products of the Israeli army, for example, yes. IDF, Israeli Defense Forces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever you go in the military, there's a little bit of indoctrination going on, you know? Right. I wouldn't, I won't use the B word. I'll use the I word. <laughs>
0: Which which is the B word,
1: brainwashing? Oh, that one. Yeah, that one was
0: washed right out of my brain. That's right.
1: Yeah. So it was sort of like inverse indoctrination.
0: Yeah. It was in indoctrination. It was it was uh, reeducation is what it was. <laughs> For some reason, I do everything on five year plans. I don't know why. It's sort of uh, this habit of mine. Anyways, the um, some of the criticism of this film that I I went back and looked at. Like I said, some were talking. Some people were talking about this moral equivocation, or, or or placing terrorists and the the government of Israel on the on the same playing field. When when maybe that in in the opinion of uh, the reviewer, maybe that wasn't warranted. Where they feel that the terrorists couldn't possibly have the the moral high ground at any time. Um, some people were saying this wasn't factual. How could you take this seriously? It wasn't it wasn't purely factual which I completely dismiss because if that if that were the case, no film could be taken seriously. Right, yeah. And uh, some people were saying that, you know, a lot of the, some of the details could be picked at. Like in, in one of the scenes, or in, in a couple of the scenes, um, this Avner character, Eric Bana, he was having some flashbacks or they, they, he appeared to be having flashbacks or memories of some of the things that happened when the, the hostages in uh, the Olympic Village were killed. And he wasn't there. And I have to dismiss those as well because— I think those were for our benefit. Yeah. He was—I think that Spielberg was taking artistic license at that time.
1: Yeah. And and maybe these nightmares he was having, uh, seeing these visions of what had happened— Maybe they were accurately historic reproductions of what happened, and maybe he wouldn't have known that, but they were also what his mind was imagining. He was probably imagining something really horrible happening to these people, and this was just simply a product of that, and that's fine. That's artistic license. Yeah, it's, and it's perfectly believable that he could have had nightmares about that.
0: Yeah, but I think a lot of reviewers, and I went back and saw some of them, a lot of, a lot of different reviewers were pointing out the same thing, and to me... I think that's nitpicking. I think that's, you know, that's uh that's looking at a film and saying, "Okay, he's 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 taking on a historical subject or something that was inspired by historical uh fact and at that time, as soon as someone takes on that subject, they're bound by some unwritten law that everything they do has to be accurate and factual." And I just don't buy it. I think that every film has to have some sort of Artistic impression. Well, and this wasn't a documentary. It absolutely was not a documentary. I think even some reviewers were taking issue with the fact that at the beginning it said inspired by historical events. That's all it means, that it was inspired by. It doesn't mean that it was um, a documentary of historical events. This wasn't filming of historical events. This wasn't reenactment of historical events. It was inspired by. It was a story, a historical fiction, as, as some people have called it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with those sentiments. The The feeling I was left with with after watching this film, especially at the end when the Eric Bana character was uh, afraid for his family's life because, I mean, there were some scenes that went wrong. They, they inadvertently killed a KGB agent, and I'm right. sure the Russians, had that actually happened, wouldn't have been happy about that. And they may have targeted Avram, the Eric Bana character, mm-hmm. and maybe even his family. Uh, there was a point in the film which we haven't mentioned where he sort of resigned from Mossad, sort of the uh, CIA or whatever, if you will, of the uh, of Israel, and he moved to Brooklyn with his wife and his child. And um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. He felt he thought he was being hunted at one point in the U.S. And the, all of this made me think of a, a wonderful film from like 1975 or so called Three Days of the Condor, with uh Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway where he was like a CIA
0: operative but was sort of like a low-level operative and his do you remember this film you've mentioned to me several times and it's one of those that I've I've always wanted to watch but I've never never had the opportunity or never thought about it
1: but at the end of by the end of this film Robert Redford is a target for the CIA and which he used to work for and he basically for the rest of his life is going to have to live in hiding because he's afraid of being hunted you know mm-hmm. and i think i think spielberg was making the message that hitting and hitting back and hitting back and then them hitting back and then them hitting back it's it's going nowhere good and nowhere fast and at this point it, they they've probably forgotten what they don't even like about each other it's just personal at this point you know and it's it's mm-hmm. a very difficult conflict to mediate but i mean just continually going at it from the perspective that they're approaching it, some changes need to be made,
0: clearly. Well, and, and what I think that w- was done very well in this is that you're sort of taken through the film following this Avram character from the very beginning when he's almost an idealistic soldier. When when you see these horrible events unfold in the Olympic Village and within the, the confines or the context of just that one event— you can absolutely say that the actions of the terrorists were wrong. They were horrible. They were brutal. They were disgusting. And taking revenge on those people, while some people may have opinions of what revenge is going to get you or, or how good or bad revenge is, striking back may have been an appropriate action at that time. But then it slowly shows how that one action sort of Gets very confusing. I mean, he he could take that one event and say in his mind clearly, "I'm doing the right thing," but then he went down this path, and then things got confused. Their very first hit, it was hard to tell whether this guy was the right guy. He seemed like this innocuous guy going to get his groceries, and then from there, things started to go wrong. The, well, the, the, the bombs started going off. Well, the, the families were showing up of some of these victims.
1: And as Avram, he, by the end of the film, he was questioning everything. You know, how do we know? You know, he went to his superiors and was like, I need you to tell me what these people's relations to the Olympic Village kidnapping and murders were. I really want to know that. And he was also, I don't think he was ever told. He was just assured no. right. that these people were uh, tied in. And as was pointed out many, many times in the film, these people are just going to be replaced. Right. And they're probably going to be replaced by people who are more pissed off and more angry, and there's going to be an infinite line. I mean, you could kill all of these people in either, from either side, and all of them are going to be replaced by people who are just as gung-ho and willing to fight for their side as for the other side. And it just, it's just pointless, you know? It's, yeah. it, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, futile feudal. Yeah.
0: I mean that's just a great word. Well the 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 clear message was and they even said it for every one that you take care of, six more are going to pop up on both sides cuz that's exactly what happened. And you could carry this argument to George Bush's war on terror too. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I mean basically where the amount of innocent Iraqi civilians that have been killed to date is gigantic. And certainly the kind of uh Of angst and anger towards that by Arabic people has risen, and I would think that a membership or whatever, you know what I mean, people willing to sign up to Mm -hmm. do uh, to join terrorist groups and and on some level to fight against the U.S. has to have risen. You know what I mean? I mean, we're certainly not generating a lot of love there.
0: Yeah. So I I guess for me, it was a very strong message, and it was one that I, I. wasn't really new to i mean it's the same thing violence begets violence absolutely and we did see bicycle pumps turned into guns yeah and and i did want to mention some of that scene but the strong message was that you can't say that anyone's innocent in this and you and you can't say well one person hit first so we're going to hit back and then it's done with it's never going to end the only way that you can stop that cycle is if you just take yourself out of it you say you know what if we're hit we're going to be hit let's try to understand what happened And let's move on from there. Hitting back is just going to make it worse. There was one scene that I thought was interesting that Spielberg
1: put in there. There was the one, the information from their French contacts. They gave up a name, and they went to Libya. Where did they go? It was Beirut. uh, Beirut. They went to Beirut to kill some people. Actually, I think it was the IDF. I think it was actually the Israeli army that went. Mm -hmm. The Avram character didn't go. And do you remember the one scene where one of the Israeli army guys introduced himself to another guy, and he said, hi, my name is Ehud Barak.
0: No, I don't So I thought that. that
1: was pretty interesting because a lot of the Israeli leadership was a part of these kinds of activities, yes. you know what I mean? Uh, I'm talking about the actual prime ministers of yep. Israel in their prior, earlier lives were part of these hit teams in Mossad and things like that. Yeah,
0: Sharon was, I think, uh, pretty deep into that as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I did want to mention that one scene about the bicycle pumps. <laughs> um, what happened, in, and I think that what Spielberg was doing in that scene was showing how you have these governments or, or you have a terrorist organization or a, a group of people like Palestinians versus the Israelis and they're hitting against each other. But they took it down to the personal level where one friend was killed and they went and they killed another friend or they they killed the they person. Killed the they killed the assassin of the friend. They they went essentially, you know, off the reservation. They went off the plan, and they decided to do this action on their own to hit back. They were taking revenge for their friend, and even that went wrong because they were left. It wasn't like they 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 did this one action and it was done with. After that action, the the Hans character felt awful because it was an awful thing to do. It was something that they felt horrible about, and and that's really what this film is about: is the personal toll it takes. And essentially, the, the toll that it's taking on society, we're constantly taking these these vengeful actions, is uh, is leading nowhere. And it's just causing more and more damage.
1: That actress who played that female assassin.
0: First of all, that scene, that scene didn't
1: play for me very well because that was like the too-good-to-be-true thing. There's this beautiful woman who's basically asking you to sleep with her at this bar. Hello, why would you go to her hotel room? You know what I mean? And ultimately, the Eric Bonnet character didn't, but I think he was going to. Yeah. He, uh, and then his friend Hans, or w- uh, whichever character it was, uh, maybe it wasn't the Hans character, but it was, yeah, it was the cleanup guy. Yeah, uh, and he, through her perfume, knew that she was in his room and ultimately yep. uh, he, was, he was dead. But it's funny because I remember seeing her in another film called uh, The Barbarian Invaders or something. It was a Canadian film where she played a nurse. Very good film. Barbarian Invasion or something like that. You should really? see it. Yeah, really good. Um, another thing I found interesting about this film, and it sort of made me chuckle out loud, was that Papa, the, the father of yeah. his contact, was the guy who played Drax in the James Bond film with the space shuttles, uh, Moonraker. Did he? Yeah, that was Drax. That was the evil guy who was going to take over the world with the orbiting space station. Yeah, that was that was him. The same <laughs> actor. I saw him and I went, "Could it be?" And then I
0: looked him up on the internet database, and there he was. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we could we could do a whole lot on uh, more on this film, and there are basically two sides of this. One, a film on its own, and I thought it was a I thought it was a very well done film on its own. A lot of great characters, a lot of great. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, well-known characters, and I think that's why it played really well, is because these characters lived on their own. You, you didn't have this baggage in the film. And a lot of, uh, I don't know, ensemble-type things going on. There was the, the whole heist thing where they were planning each one of these, these uh, assassinations where you, you got into that and tried to figure out how they were going to do the next one, who they were going after. And then it had a very strong message. And then, you know, the other side of it was the message itself and and how it plays out and what it means in society today. And you probably caught it because it was very heavy-handed. At the very end, the very last scene of the film, what was the last thing that they they left the camera on? Do you remember this? Oh, I'm not sure I do. Was it in Brooklyn? Um, Eric Bana and Jeffrey Rush were talking about essentially – he wanted to have evidence of, of how these people that he just And he just invited killed. him to dinner, he invited and he him said no. He, he said declined. no. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush declined and said no. He invited him to dinner saying, you know, there's something written somewhere that, that you know, you're you're a visitor, and, and I want to invite you. We have to break bread together. And then at the very end, he said no. He walked away, the camera lifted up, and they left it right there on the Twin Towers. Okay, yeah. Very heavy-handed, but really, it, it how reminds they do you— that? that <laughs> they must have put those in digitally. Uh, digital. But it was very heavy handed. I actually didn't notice that. I'll have to play that last scene again. It brings it home to let you know that all that's going to happen is we're constantly escalating and it's escalating and escalating and escalating. It's not just one hit here and there anymore. It's thousands of people getting killed at a time. Yeah. And it's not sustainable, you know, because they have a pretty limitless supply of people who
1: are willing to die. And we have a pretty limitless supply of funds. But Mm -hmm. just because we have a bigger army and better intelligence, it doesn't mean we can eliminate them. We can't.
0: Yep. So I, I, I uh, give this pretty high marks. I'm not going to give it any kind of finger, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I give it a pinky. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed it as much as something that's very uh, meaningful and, and many times brutal. You can say that you can enjoy. I, I enjoyed the film as a film um, and was left with a lot of questions. So. Yeah,
1: and uh, definitely recommend it. Definitely check it out. So we're going to jump into another tune. We played these guys once before, a couple, three, four, five, six, seven weeks ago. It was a band called Modus, and this song is called Eraser.
2: What if there are no accidents? What if I...
0: cool. My computer held up for the three minutes or so that that song played. We actually had a blue screen a little while ago.
1: And what are you running XP? Uh, Yeah. XP. There's something going on with some hard drive or something that John put in or, or his main drive, his boot drive. We don't know.
0: I'm thinking about exercising the machine. Take it out for a run. What do you mean? No, meaning, you know, throw holy water on it and cast the demons out. <laughs> Get somebody <laughs> dancing around in like uh,
1: leggings or something, you know? No. <laughs> that
0: would be trying to put the demons back in (laughs) sheepskin
1: leggings I want to talk briefly about a film I saw Friday night another film it's kind of a media film even though that was homework but uh, this is a film called I actually don't know how this is pronounced and I saw the film and heard the name many times but still don't know how it's pronounced it's Tsotsi. T-S-O-T-S-I it's a South African film from 2005 uh, rated R 94 minutes directed by a guy named Gavin Hood and it's about a character named Tsotsi. Who is kind of a thug, and I guess in sort of like street lingo slang, "tsutsi" is literally means thug, and um, he kind of lives in a shanty town on the outskirts of Johannesburg in, in South Africa, and he robs people and whatnot. To uh, they hang around at like train stations and look for people with wallets and rob them, and his life gets really interesting when on the way home from the train station, he wants to rob a car and a woman can't get her. It's a pretty well-to-do neighborhood in Johannesburg and a woman can't get the gate to open for her. You know, the automatic wrought irons, Mm -hmm. you know, gate, her remote wasn't working. So they clearly have money. And while she like runs to the front door or whatever, to try to get her husband to manually hit the button inside the house to open the gate, this Tzotzi character steals her car. And the story gets interesting a few minutes later when he hears a baby crying in the back seat. And the rest of the movie is a journey where we learn more about the Tsatsi character and he actually sort of... Uh, I mean, he just doesn't do something horrible with the child. He actually tries to raise it... Not raise it, because he doesn't have custody of the child long enough, but, you know, he changes diapers in a well, sort of a crude way. <laughs> he uses, like, newspaper and staples. Like yeah, newspaper and staples. <laughs> but the the movie is about... Sottsi's reclamation of his decency. You know, he basically, by the end of the film, he be, I think there's a major turnaround in his, his outlook on life. And ultimately, the baby is returned. And, you know, he, I imagine he goes to jail. But by the end of the film, I think he has sort of reclaimed his youthful innocence because he grew up in a very dysfunctional household with a very violent father. I mean, he witnessed awful, horrible acts. So clearly, this is where his anger and everything comes from. But the thing that ends up happening is as he's rearing this child for the few days or few weeks, it's not clear, he actually sort of starts reminiscing and and harking back to his own youth, and and we see some scenes and some examples of why he's kind of the way he is. And despite the fact that this film is very dark, and by the way, if you have uh, any history of kind of like trauma or dysfunction... In your family, this film will churn up some interesting feelings from you. I mean, it was a very powerful film, very dark, not the kind of film I can watch again right away. I'm not sure that I ever need to see this film again. I think the film was very good, and I recommend it, but not the kind of film, because it was so dark, that I would want to watch again too soon. Like, I could probably watch Munich again. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fairly yep. immediately. But this film just affected me on a much, much, much deeper level. And while I think that the the end message, the final message of the film was, was uplifting and good, it was still dark enough where I don't think I can watch it again too soon. But nonetheless, I think it was a nice piece of work. And if I'm not mistaken, this film did win an Academy Award in 2005 for Best Foreign Language Film. So uh, some other people agree with me on this one, too, that uh, this is something worth seeing. So definitely check it out. In Ken... It's a film called Satsi <laughs> for my aging friend Ken, who wants us to repeat the film T S O T S I, and I'm sure if uh, you can't miss by typing that into a search engine, you're going to find info about this film. Now wait a minute, you just said he was your aging friend. Aren't we all aging? Yes, he is more aged though. <laughs> I'm only kidding, the Ken. The Ken is very cool. Okay.
0: Yeah, it, it does sound pretty interesting, and I haven't seen this. And and you know, you can pretty much. Boil all films, all successful films, down to making some sort of human connection. Or, yeah, or connections on, on some some general basic level. And unfortunately, a lot of us have had you know that that kind of trauma in our lives, or similar kind of trauma, or have been touched by those kinds of traumas. So when a film shows some some brutal or, or family dysfunction, um, it's generally going to touch some nerve. So unless you were
1: in the Cosby's,
0: uh, uh, yeah, unless you were in the Cosby's and your dad wore funky sweaters. <laughs> The films coming up in
1: June are phenomenal There's a film called Thank You for Smoking There's a film called Duma There's a film called Sophie Scholl, The Final Days And CSA, The Confederate States of America Sort of a mockumentary on if the South had won the Civil War Oh, it's not CSI? No, it's not So I'm really looking forward to the next four films And I knew what this film Sotsi was about And I was sort of dreading watching it because I knew where it was going to take me. You know, I knew it was going to take me to those dark places. So I kind of wanted to get past and through this film to the next four because the next four are a little bit more lighthearted, but definitely recommend. So so see, check it out. And I don't know. I think that's a show. What do you think?
0: I guess that's it. Yeah. I decided to go with a little bit of different flavor tonight. We
1: should bust out one of the uh, the other intros one of these days too. We haven't played the Indian one in a while, the Hindi one. That's true. We should. We should,
0: we should record a new one. But anyways, you've been oh, listening I I to a uh, couple of freaks and some microphones. My name some is John
1: Tellerico. This is Rich Wilgus and uh, collectively we are
0: bloodthirsty vegetarians. Yep, and uh, go to our blog, www.BloodyVeg.com. When it's time to change.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Leave us feedback at feedback at BloodyVeg.com. Yeah, we've
0: got a new forum, too. BloodyVeg.com slash forum. Yeah, we've got some other stuff on there. Recipes, Rich having his whole cabbage nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Yeah, give that a look. And remember, you're listening to V-I-B.